0: Welcome to the Worshipped Woman Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Kristen. I am a life and relationship coach, deep healing facilitator, and subconscious change expert. On this podcast, we will dive deep into personal growth, transformation, and relationships, releasing patterns of toxicity, codependency, and people-pleasing as we explore what it means to be the worshipped woman. If you are ready to heal, embody your worth, and raise your standards in life and love, you are in the right place. I am so happy to have you here. Now, let's get started. Hello sisters, welcome To the podcast, I am so excited that you are here, and I am so excited for today's episode because I have another guest on, and I really believe you are going to love her so much. Her name is Kelly Tennant, so you got two Kellys coming at you today. I want to talk a little bit about what we're going to get into, but before I do, I want to let you know about something super special, super exciting that I'm doing. For the Pisces full moon, which is going to be on Monday, September 20th, I am doing, I've really been called to do some more, um, just community healing type of things, connecting with you all, and really giving you a space where you can come into a community, do some healing work, and not have to have, you know, a big obligation of a course or, you know, something that you have to do. It's just show up, breathe a little bit, and feel better. Does that sound amazing to you? Because that's what we're going to do. It's at um, 7 p.m., Pacific time and it's going to be a live virtual zoom thing. So you are going to have to register it's breathwork. So if you don't know about breathwork, you might have heard me talk about it before on this podcast, but breathwork for me is hands down one of the best healing modalities In the world, because it is something that can allow you to clean out your body, clear out that old, stuck energy. You're always hearing me talk about that. And breath work is my favorite way to do that so that you can reset your nervous system, so that you can release whatever it is that's holding you back, all of that old, stuck energy. Maybe it's thoughts that you need to let go of. Maybe it's whatever it is. We're going to actually do a very intentional ceremony where we utilize the power of the full moon and the power of the breath work to release to let things go so that you can show up in a new way and if you have never experienced breath work before I am so excited for you because it is something I've personally been doing in my healing work um, six about six years myself and I got my training done so that I could bring other people through it uh, just about a year ago and I've just been doing it in my group programs and with my one-on-one clients but I wanted to bring it into a space where we can really just get together get some healing work it's going to be awesome and it's super affordable I'm doing it for 20 bucks $20 that's it so you can come in have a beautiful experience with women from you know who knows, maybe all over the world, showing up together to do some healing work. So I will put the link for that in the show notes. Now, as far as today goes, like I said, we have Kelly Tennant on the podcast, and I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation because she is just so honest, raw, and real. And Kelly is a woman out here in the world helping other women come back home to themselves she is the host of the podcast the kelly show so you can check that out but she's what this conversation was really about is essentially her journey of showing up one day looking at herself in the mirror and feeling like she didn't know who she was she didn't know how she got there and whose life am i living and the journey to come back home And what I love so much about this conversation is I feel like every woman is going to be able to see themselves somewhere in this story because she's so honest, she's so vulnerable with what it's like. I mean, we talk about separating your worth from how you look. We talk about how uh, our upbringing affects our relationships and how to actually change patterns within your relationships when you are the one who might be showing up with some toxic traits. And it is just such a gorgeous conversation. I know that you are going to love it. So make sure if you do, while you're listening, take a screenshot, tag me at Miss Kelly Kristen, tag Kelly at Kelly Tennant on Instagram. Find us, let us know that you're listening. Let us know what spoke to you. And if you really love it, don't forget to leave the Worshipped Woman a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts as this helps get the show seen and heard by more women, which is my mission in the world, because these are the kind of conversations that I think all women can benefit from. So without further ado, here is Kelly.
1: Oh, so we were in the Highlands in Denver, which is like five minutes from downtown for um, almost a year and a half. We just moved into a new house about a month ago and oh. we're in the mountain, 30 minutes outside of town. We're like up on an actual mountain. And the air is very clean here, and it's so wild. And I, I look back and I'm like, God, how did I live and breathe in L.A. for that long?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do it with like my air filters on 24 <laughs> seven.
1: Yeah, shouts to Molecule. That's the only way to survive.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, especially with the fires and everything. But you know, I I love that, and I love. I think getting up and moving is something that every person should probably do in their life but do you know the actual statistics for people that literally gr- like are born and never leave their zip code it's something like astronomical like 80% of people live within a 15 mile radius their entire life like it when i first what? heard this number yes and and that's like a real thing maybe i should actually look it up before i'm like this is the absolute fact <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a really high number to where you're like, wow, so many people never ex- explore, never actually leave their hometown, never, you know, move across the country to a place where they don't know anybody. And I think that even ties into kind of what we wanted to talk about today, which is like that good girl mentality and how that can really keep us stuck in a life that you actually don't really want to be living.
1: I mean, yeah. Like if you don't have context for anything else, if you don't have any experience outside of what you're being spoon fed from your family in your tiny little environment, how do you ever know what else is possible for you? And I even experienced that. I grew up in Temecula, which is in Southern California. It's like two hours from LA. And then I went to USC at 17 And it was such a rude awakening. And I had no idea how sheltered I had been. And I saw so much and was exposed to so much that I had never even heard of. And then even after college, just living in Los Angeles and being exposed to lots of different types of people who were, you know, it was very international. There was every type of race and culture. And you just realized how much you've never seen, how much you don't know, how much we just don't talk about. And it, it caused me to pause and to take a lot of steps back over the last 10 years and reevaluate what I even believe is true. Because yeah. it, you're only fed certain things in a certain environment for your whole life. And then all of a sudden you start to realize, wait, people live totally differently. People make way different choices, have way different values. It's like, well, do I have to live by these sets of choices and values that I was forced to make and were handed to me as a child? Or can I also make different choices and have different beliefs and rewrite my story of what I want my life to be? It can be a mind fuck.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's really important because if you've never actually been outside of that dynamic where you can get the perspective to look outside of it, where you can get the perspective of, you know, different cultures and different things happening. You know, I was lucky because I grew up in South Florida, which is a, pretty culturally diverse, you know, and I also came from parents that were very much like, let people live, do what they want to do. And, and, you know, I'm super grateful for that because it did give me that mentality. But I often think, you know, just doing the work that I do, and I'm very into psychological, you know, how our minds work and everything. And when you understand that people really can only operate from their personal experience, like that's it. And most of us don't realize that that's how we operate. And so we go around thinking that we're right, thinking that we know everything because to, to ourselves, we are right because that's our perspective. That's all that we know. How can you know something that you don't know? You can't. Right. So I think it's like having that step outside of yourself. It's like the bridge to curiosity of like, Oh, what else, what else is available here? So I would love to know your journey through that, like through sort of coming outside of yourself, discovering, oh, all these different cultures and things. And then what was it that started clicking for you that was like, wait a second, I'm this certain way that I don't necessarily want to be like, what was that transition like?
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I love everything you said. I, I agree hundred percent. I was a TV host for 10, 12 years, um, and I worked in LA, did the Lakers and the Dodgers, and I did sideline and studio and had you know the big girl glamorous LA job <laughs> and made the money and worked with all the famous people. And by my, the standards that I grew up with of achievement and financial stability and climbing this ladder, I had made it. And I really felt that. And I had worked my ass off to get to that point. And I just remember one day... I mean, I'm 33 now, so this is probably five oh, or six too. Two years. Kellys,
0: oh. both 33. Hey, okay. Yeah.
1: Wait, what's your middle name?
0: Kristen.
1: Oh, Mich- oh it is Kristen. Okay, yeah. mine's Michelle. <laughs> I was going to say that's an interesting last name, but yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> um, I like when people have two first names or two last names. It's cool. It's fun, right? um, Yeah. Anyways, neither here nor there. But I remember it was probably five or six years ago and I looked in the mirror and I literally did not recognize myself and it was terrifying because i looked at myself and i was like i don't know who that girl is and i don't know how i got here it was like my whole life had become a blur or i had blacked out and someone just dropped me on earth into this bathroom and was like here you go and i'm like how did i get here and i hated myself i didn't like my life I had chronic illness during this whole time. I was sick for 15 years. So my body was shut down. So I had a horrible relationship with my body, super disconnected, people pleaser, living to do things for everyone else and never disappoint. And I got to that point and I was like, this is terrifying. I can't live like this. And that's when I started asking questions. How did I get here? Why do I act this way? Why do I respond like this? Why am I so obsessed with making my mom proud? Why are we so codependent? Why can't I make any decisions for myself? Why can't I speak up for myself? You know, I worked in a world of men and sexual assault was running rampant and people were treating me like trash and I had no self-worth or value other than I'm the hot girl. So I, that might that must be all I have to offer. And I just started seeing all these things that I had never looked at before because I think I was just living like a robot. And I'm like, this is trash and I can't live like this anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's powerful. That's yeah. powerful to, and one, to have the wherewithal at, you know, a relatively young age that that's where you're at, because I think a lot of people live their whole life in that sort of just unconscious zombie, like, this is what you do, and this is who you have to be, and this is just life, you know? And I think even like, we're really the first generation to actually kind of come into this in such a strong way. Of course, there were some people like, you know, in our parents' generation, but I think for the most part, you know, what I hear from most people and certainly was my experience was like, you know, my parents like, I'm a little crazy, like doing what I do and like, you know, going to school and then being like, oh yeah, I'm not going to use my degrees at all. I'm going to just go do my own thing. You know, people didn't really do that. It was like, you know, well, this is how life is. And my, and my dad would always used to even say this and it, oh gosh, it used to drive me crazy. Well, you know, life sucks and then you die. Like, that's just what it is. Mm. And I'm like, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's but that's a lot of people's mentalities. Like, oh, life is just this way. Life is just this way and and that's how it is. And and you gotta just, you know, work and, and do this and, and just keep going and keep going. And and that's what it is. So you have that moment in the mirror and you're like, yeah, no, this ain't it. What so then from that point where you're like, I'm quitting my job, I'm doing something else, like what what actually evolved from that, you know, woman in the mirror moment.
1: Yeah. So I had that moment and I think shortly thereafter or right before it's kind of a blur now, one of my colleagues, um, he was like a former Dodger legend and, um, he was kind of my uncle in the business. And one day we were at the stadium and he looked at me and he said, why are you wearing that dress? I was like, cause I love it. It's my favorite. And I'm in my Sunday best oral. And he was like, why are you wearing that dress? And I sat with that question for about a week because that's where he ended the conversation. And he wasn't being mean. He was just, why are you wearing that? And I started to look at how obsessed I was with my wardrobe and my hair and my makeup and the exterior presentation of who I was rather than who I am internally, the work itself, all of those things. And I realized that he was trying to tell me something without saying it directly and caused me to question myself and say, why am I wearing this? Why is this so important? And a month after I chopped off about a foot of hair, like chopped my hair off into a bob. I got rid of my entire wardrobe and I started over and I started walking into the clubhouse and to Lakers practice facility as a totally different person because I realized that everything I believed about myself was all wrapped up in how I looked because in television, especially I've had executives even tell me, we watch your interview tape and we turn it on, on silent. We just want to see how you look and how you interact with the players. And I'm like, okie dokie. So yeah. it's very clear that I got this job because of how I look. Cause I didn't know anything about baseball or basketball before I got those jobs. So that's the truth, and. So I had to start seeing that that's what my identity was wrapped in. So I just started looking at everything. And I also started looking at how toxic the environment that I was in was. And I came forward um, about sexual assault with a colleague and left that career behind. And I knew that I couldn't put my body through this toxic environment and this perpetuating of a system and cycle that made me believe that all I had to offer was this one thing. And created a space where I didn't feel confident in myself, that I could speak up for myself, that I could ask for more out of myself or anyone else. And so I just, I left it. I left everything behind. I lost almost everyone that I had in my life because I had been cultivating that career for 10 plus years. And when you talk about sexual assault in a world full of men, all of those men turn on you. And so that was my experience. And so I left it and that's when I started the podcast and I knew that. I wanted to do things on my terms. I knew that I was really good at interviewing people and speaking. I had been doing it for a living forever. That's what I was trained in. It's the only job I'd ever had. So I'm like, what can I do with these skills that make sense for where I'm going? I want to be around women now because fuck men. And <laughs> not now. I don't feel like that now, but I did at the time. And I wanted to be in more of service to people. And I had been healing from chronic illness and starting to understand alternative medicine and just this idea of connecting with women on a deeper uh, level. And so I just created this whole world for myself where I got to support women. I got to have really amazing conversations with them and I got to help people heal while on my own healing journey. And so I took this thing that was very toxic and was, um, it just kind of put me in a corner and kept me quiet. And I said, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I'm going to do it without all of you. And I don't have to ask for permission anymore to be who I want to be.
0: Yeah. That's so, that's, that's a really beautiful journey. And I, you know, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for actually stepping into it because I think it is hard. And I think that as women, especially with the whole beauty standards, and like, especially if you are in, You know, the television space at all. And I'm sort of on the outside of it in a way. My boyfriend is in the Hollywood business in a lot of different ways. And I can even feel the toxicity of it seeping into myself sometimes, you know, where everything is so superficial and everything is based on how you look and the constant drive to look better and you know uh, get the, the all these things done to your face and to your body and and this and it's really really prominent in LA in Hollywood and i think that it does a lot of damage to women in general especially now too because it's like everybody gets it because of the instagram effect you know mm-hmm. because we're constantly bombarded as women with like who we have to be we're constantly bombarded with this idea that like we're not allowed to get older or you know like why is it that we have to be so obsessed with not having a wrinkle on our face like yeah. really, but then why Clooney is, is over
1: here me? and he's so much hotter as an old man and i'm right. like fuck you <laughs>
0: It's ridiculous and I'm not gonna say mm-hmm. that I don't and that I don't fall into that because I do you know I have a whole cabinet full of like my creams I'm like oh my face is so dry I gotta have this I gotta have that so it's not like I'm I'm re- been able to remove myself from it right I mean to a certain extent like yes I'm not obsessed with how I look but so you coming from that world and being somebody who was once obsessed with how you look and that was everything what do you feel like? had, like, how did you really back away from that? Because it's so deeply ingrained. So, so what was like the start of that for you? Like, like chipping away your worth from how you look?
1: Yeah. And it, for me, it goes back even farther because I was one of the top volleyball players in the country uh, from the time I was 10 until 19 when I had to stop playing because I got sick. I was on the cover of volleyball magazine in a bikini. I was a top five recruit. I had offers to every school in the country, full ride to USC, captain of the team. And for me, my body was the vessel for my performance that made me get attention. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily how I looked in volleyball, though, you know, my butt looked cute in spandex, I guess. It was that I could jump really high and I was really strong and I had all these abilities. And so the worth and like how I looked as I got older and how my body performed as a young woman, then all kind of came together. And when I had to stop playing volleyball, I had a really bad eating disorder because I lost my whole life. Like everything I was, everything I knew, all of my friends were just gone in what felt overnight. And so then I had no control. And so the only thing I could control was what I was eating. And so I lost a lot of weight And I got down to a really low number and looked awful. I could barely breathe. I remember my mom said to me one day, she's like, you're breathing really weird. And I was like, I'm fine. And I could barely breathe. My body was probably shutting down. I don't know that for a fact, but I mean, when you lose 30 pounds and you're already small, that's just so unhealthy. And so I just, I kind of went through this, like years of this spiral of being obsessed. And so I think, when I when you do that for you know 10 plus years and that's oh I guess 10 20 years really um, and that's all you know and that's the most important thing to you for me I had I had to be in therapy like I had to talk about all of these things I had to verbalize the way I felt my body had been abused emotionally and physically by men. And the way I looked at my body and I abused myself by having an eating disorder and always picking every little part, like if I saw cellulite or a stretch mark or anything, if I gained a pound, I, I would weigh myself every single day for years. And I had to really step away and realize that there is no such thing as perfection. And growing up, I, they called me Perfect Kelly. That was my nickname. I did no wrong. Like I was such a good kid but that fucked me up as an adult. <laughs> right. Because I I believed that perfect existed. I'm like, well, I'm going to keep going for that. And I had to start understanding and I learned this through therapy and, you know, definitely stepping into spirituality and having like a bigger picture of what's going on. That there is no such thing as perfect and that I'm trying to achieve something that doesn't exist and that my worth and my value does not exist in how my skin looks or, you know, if my hair looks a certain way or the clothes that I'm wearing, it's really about who I am on a really deep level. And that's taken me years and years to get there. And I'm like you, I have the creams and I do the facials and the microdermabrasion and then blah, 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 you know, and haven't gone down the injection route yet, but who the fuck knows, call me in three years and I'll tell you what I did. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I realized that there's just so much more to who we are. And I think for me too, having a spiritual connection and believing in God and the universe and that there's just something bigger than me happening, it brought me perspective that we're all just so small. And like these things that we worry about are so insignificant. And before I, like all I cared about was myself and I just lived in my world and I was very selfish and that's all I could think about. And now, I, I'm able to see that there are other things at play. And so I kind of just removed myself from that constant monkey mind of needing to be and look a certain way. And it allowed my true self to come through, um, but it's taken a long time.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's a process, especially it being so ingrained, right? Especially for you, if, if you know the, you were perfect Kelly, well, God, that is so much of a weight to carry right? That's so much of a weight to carry. And so do you feel like that led you into, you really like created that identity of just having to be whoever everybody else thought was perfect, Kelly, but it really wasn't even you.
1: Totally. I think that's spot on. It was this mask or this facade that I created at a very young age. I mean, my mom would always joke about, she would make me a sandwich and then she would hand it to me. And if the sandwich fell apart, you know, if it was like stacked and then the top fell off, I would have a meltdown, like a full on crying tantrum at the table because something fell apart and I felt like I did something wrong and things were not allowed to fall apart. Like everything had to be together and look really good. And so I think that that's who I was and who I became, and that's the, you were talking about this earlier, which I loved. It was like the lens through which you view the world, right? It's our experience in our context. You and I have different life experience. We're going to see the world differently. Mm -hmm. The lens that I saw the world through was that if something wasn't perfect, it was my fault. I made that happen and I failed everywhere I went. It could be shit that had nothing to do with me, like a sandwich falling apart. But I took that blame and I took that upon myself and I beat myself up so hard My mom would never punish me because she said, there is nothing I can do to you that is worse than what you do to yourself. So I was never punished growing up because I beat myself up so hard. And I took that into adulthood and I have been in therapy for so many years and I've done plant medicine journeys and worked with, you know, different healers and really sat with like, what is that? Why is your worth and your ability to be loved so wrapped up into this idea of perfection because it doesn't exist. And I've had to unravel that for years and years and years.
0: And so out of all of the unraveling, did you have like a specific breakthrough moment on it or do you feel like you're still chipping away at it?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was my parents' unconscious, unconscious way of operating. So My parents always liked things to be put away a certain way. They wouldn't go to bed unless the entire house was clean, like dishes put away, dishwasher going. Um, they, They lost everything in 2008 and they just stopped talking to everyone because they didn't want their friends and family to know that they foreclosed on their house. My dad lost his job and they had no money left. And I think that that, like watching that as I grew up, it showed me that things have to look perfect. And you have to put on a show in a way so that people will accept you and people will be your friends. Because if something goes wrong, you just don't let them know, like then just cut them out. They don't get to see it. So I think a lot of it was because of that. I just, I saw the constant like cleaning and anxiety and making things look nice. And I was actually, I was talking to, um, my therapist the other day about anger i said i'm feeling a lot of anger and it scares me when i'm angry because it's not an emotion that i've like had a lot in my life or processed because i didn't allow myself to feel it and both my parents have my mom passed away last year my dad's alive but they both had like severe anger issues and when we were little my mom would get really angry and it was very rare but when she did she would blow up and she would like pull doors off hinges like oh really aggressively angry, never to like hit us or anything like that. But that was, she would get to a point where it would just, everything would blow. And so I've never had a positive relationship with anger of like, Oh, it's okay to get angry and you can like cry or like do a thing and then like move on. And so it like bottles up. And so I think all of that kind of contributed to shove it down, put on a happy face look at us, we have this custom built home. And like, we are the entertaining house and blah, blah, blah. When on the inside, it's like, they don't like themselves. They're super fucking angry. Shit's falling apart. They have their own shit. They're not looking at. And so it's just kind of like this facade and this lie. So I think that's a lot of where it comes from.
0: Well and it makes perfect sense too because you know we we have to learn what we live. We don't have yeah. a choice in that. There's no other option. It's not like, oh, well, this is everything I know about life, but you know what? Actually, I'm not going to believe that. <laughs> Let's just go the other way, right? <laughs> we we don't have that option unfortunately. And so it makes perfect sense. We have our own beliefs that we pick up and like this is the way that life is. So if my parents showed me the whole time that okay, no, no matter what, you have to pretend like you're okay. No matter what, you have to make other people happy. And no matter what, you have to put a smile on your face. And that's how you live. Well, then how could you expect that anything would be different, right? And then, and I don't know if you've been through this, but I know for me, like there's been, you know, because everybody has their childhood stuff that they have to unlearn. Every single human, like if you are on a growth journey, you don't get to skip that part, right? Everyone's got to do it. And so for me, there was also like a lot of grief within that, like, you know, a, a lot of grieving of like everything almost like because and maybe you've had this experience because of, you know, the whole perfection thing, really having to let go of that idea, right? That it was perfect or that it was even all that good and having to work through like that part, because I think that that's something that not really a lot of people talk about, like the actual, really like the grieving part of letting go of that identity. And what has that been like for you? Have you experienced that?
1: Oh my God, so much in the last year, especially I, so it started for me the first time I had the experience of what you're talking about, which I love that you bring this up because I don't feel like enough people talk about this or acknowledge it. Um, I don't know. Have you ever done past life regressions?
0: Yeah. I'm a hypnotherapist.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) um, past life regression for me, do you do like the QHHT like that version of it? No. Okay. So I did a QHHT, uh, it's like quantum hypnosis, something therapy and it's, um, it's a past life regression. And I basically got dropped into like all these different scenarios, uh, over a couple hours. And when I dropped into one of them, I was at my childhood home and the guy that I did it with, his name's Yarun. Yarun drops me in and he asked me, what do you see? And I said, I see the house that I grew up in. And he was like, okay, what are you wearing? What do you look like? How old are you? I think I was like seven. And what I noticed about the house was that there was this big, giant, dark cloud over it. I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And so then he goes, okay, walk inside. And so I walk inside and I immediately feel like I walk into um, like a layer of stress and anxiety and like heaviness. So my whole body right like now starts taking it on and I start describing this to him and he's like, well, what do you see? And I said, I see myself sitting at the kitchen table with my parents and my brother and no one is talking And it, no one's saying anything negative, but the feeling is such stress and tension and anxiety. I said, I like, I feel like I can't be here. I feel like I can't breathe. It's like too much. And I left that lots of other things happened. But for me, that was the first time I ever saw my childhood as anything other than amazing. Mm. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) is not how I thought it was. And so I didn't really do anything with it at the time, but I spent, you know, the next few years just kind of sitting with that. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And when my mom died last year, everything came together. I realized after she died that she was a narcissist, like straight Mm -hmm. up, what is it? Type B personality disorder, Mm -hmm. narcissist. She was, and I never knew that. And my, I'm on the phone with my therapist after she dies and I'm telling her all these things and how all this stuff is coming up for me. And she was like, well, you know, because your mom was a narcissist and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hold up a second, please go back. I said, no one has ever said that before. And she was like, you didn't know that. And I said, no, I'm like, please tell me everything right now. And so she just starts walking me through and she's like giving me like very clear examples. Okay. You said this and this happened and blah, blah, blah. And like, those are all narcissistic Tendencies. Like that is what your mom was. And that is why you guys were so codependent and why everything revolved around her. And when you started to pull away and like become an adult and have your own life, she like freaked out and didn't want to talk to you anymore. Just like all these different things. But what I also realized is that my whole life in my head is told to me by my mom. It's not my own experience that I had. I almost Mm. like blacked out all of my own experiences and just listen to what she told me my experience was. My experience according to her as a child was great. They were amazing parents and they were always present and I was very happy and I did all the things. And I start to think about all these things and I'm like, that doesn't make sense though. And I start asking myself questions about, you know, girls not inviting me to parties or why didn't I have friends? And my mom was pinning me against all these little girls and making me compete with them. And also making them sound bad so that I would only want to spend my time with her and she would be my best friend and we would be together. Wow. Like I didn't know any of this until last year and I don't hold it against her. And we have an amazing relationship now that she's passed and she's with me all the time and all the things, but it's so interesting how we don't even notice those things. We don't even recognize it. And then all of a sudden it comes into play and you're like, this makes all the sense. Mm (laughs)
0: Well, and it kind of goes back to how you can't, when you're in an experience, you can't know that you're having that experience because you don't have other experiences. Like you didn't have another mom to like, you know, size her up against, right? Like that was your mom and that's how it was. And that's how we all live our lives. Like I always say, it's kind of like being a fish in water. You don't know that you're in water. The water's around you all the time. That's how life is. That's the way it is. And the only way that you can understand it differently is when you come completely outside of that perspective and you start getting curious and you start asking those questions of like, wait a second, what really did happen? Like what was going on here? And you start doing that regression work. Regression is something I do with all of my clients because I think it's so important because you you get to see from your adult self, the actual perspective of what was happening as a child versus believing what the child still thinks that like, oh, you know, everything was fine and good. Well, the reality is, is if you had a perfect childhood, which like, spoiler alert, no one does, but
1: (laughs) if you had- We all have trauma, okay.
0: (laughs) If you had a perfect childhood, then like you wouldn't have issues as an adult. (laughs)
1: Like you you
0: wouldn't, like you wouldn't have these feelings of like, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to operate in the world or the relationship issues that so many people have. And I would, so now that you know that your mom was a narcissist, do you look back at like relationships that you've had in your life, like your intimate relationships? And you're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I didn't know this. Like, what has that even been like?
1: Oh, a rude fucking awakening. And you know what? Actually, (laughs) It's so it's so painful when you realize these things, but it's even more painful when you realize you're also doing them. Mm-hmm. And I had to have a really honest conversation about with my therapist about how she tells me all these things. I'm I'm saying all these things out loud, many of them for the first time, because I'm just like realizing it. It was like Pandora's box had been opened. And I start describing this stuff. And I remember stopping mid-sentence and I just started crying so hard. And I said, oh my God, I'm doing this to Connor, which is, he's my fiance. And I realized how I was taking what I had learned from my mom of how to relate and what love means. And in even the smallest ways was using my relationship as a way to manipulate him And make him want me and keep him from other people, you know, many different scenarios. And I was like, oh, this is not okay. And I had no conscious awareness that I was even doing this. I was just replaying the thing that I had learned how to do. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a step back and I had to say, I. I'm not going to continue this way of being like the cycle ends with me. I'm not going to do this with my partner, my friends, and I'm definitely not going to fucking do this with my kids. Like I want all of us to be individuals and having our own experience. And I'm not going to take all of my stuff because my mom didn't have like resources and, you know, therapy and all these things. Like, I feel like our parents' generation, that's like not something you do. Yeah. Luckily, it's everyone and their grandmother has a therapist or is a channel or whatever now. So <laughs> we do all the things, um, <laughs> but it's very different. And so I, she was doing her best. She was coping. She was abused as a child and she didn't know what else to do. So she wanted to be loved. So she had a kid and she was like, okay, we'll do this thing together and I'll feel better and I'll feel safer well, I don't want to perpetuate that. And I know that I don't have to, because I do, I have the ability to have a conversation like this with you, a total stranger we've never met before. And this, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that's so like, that's so beautiful. Like what a gift. Mm-hmm. And so I know that if that's what I have access to, I'm not going to keep this going. And to your point, I mean, I think every single relationship I've been in was extremely co- codependent, extremely manipulative both ways. And it was I don't think I knew what love was until I was in the relationship I'm in now. Like I think Connor helped teach me how to love in a way that feels really resonant with me rather than let me control you. And that's what love is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, God, that's a process, right? Coming to that. Well, one, being the person that can admit like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this right now. Like I'm having, you know, these narcissistic traits. Like, you know, cause I think the narcissist, clinically diagnosed like narcissists is a very small percentage. A lot of people have narcissistic traits and not all narcissistic traits are terrible or bad. I think there's a level of healthy narcissism. So there's that too. But when it comes to our relationships, how have you been able to break in your relationship, the patterns of manipulation and the patterns of codependency? Because I think that that's huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing is self-awareness. Like, hi, I'm Kelly and I'm codependent and this is my (laughs) problem. And like, let me just take a look at this. And I talk a lot about radical responsibility and honesty and asking ourselves harder questions, because I think the problem to your point is that we're not willing to admit that we're doing this. We're not willing to admit that how we're acting and we don't want to look at it because for me, it's really embarrassing to say, yeah, I try and control my partner because it makes me feel better. Like that feels shitty to say out loud. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But sometimes that's the thing you have to say in order to break the pattern. And so I think the first thing for me is to recognize it. The second thing I like to do because I never apologized ever because my mom taught me basically you don't apologize because you're better than everyone and everyone else, like you're the victim and everyone else has to apologize to you, which is, super healthy. And so now (laughs) Now, what I like to do, which Connor yells at me because I apologize too much, but I like to go to him and I say, Hey, like, this is something that I've been doing. And I noticed, and I, I don't even know if you noticed, but I just want to apologize to you because that's not how I want to treat you. And now that I'm aware of this, I just want to make a very conscious choice to have a different intention of how I'm relating or whatever. And it feels good to me to be able to acknowledge it to him as well, because I think that's important, especially if it's something he notices and he's not saying. Um, and I think the next thing is to, I have, I like to watch myself like with a bird's eye view. So I kind of watch myself from above. I don't know if you do that. I feel like
0: literally that's like half of my
1: life. So (laughs) yeah, that's insane, girl, but it's kind of new and it's kind of fucked up, but it's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> you're like watching yourself, but you're yeah. like yourself as well. At the same time, it's very <laughs> interesting. I'm like, huh?
0: Um, it's wild, like it it's a, a weird way to live, but yeah, I, I get that.
1: Ah. Totally. My, I have a sisterhood call and we talk every week. And we were talking about that for like an hour last week. And we were all sharing our different experiences of how we view view ourselves. I'm like, yeah, that's trippy. Um, <laughs> anyways, I watch myself from above. And what that allows me to do is I'm super present in my body. So I'm not escaping But I also have another perspective that I can watch a scenario take place. And that way I can see myself do something and maybe it's reverting to an old pattern and I can catch it immediately. And I'm someone that I will call myself out like all the time and I'm okay with that now because I know I don't have to be embarrassed every time. I'm a human, we fuck up. We like, you know, repeat patterns that we don't want to unconsciously. And so I acknowledge it and I say to myself in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing. I'm not gonna do that anymore. And so I just pull back. And I think for me, that practice, even with the littlest things, I just constantly repeat over and over. Okay. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I noticed I'm doing that. Not going to do that anymore. Don't need to do that. I'm safe. Everything's okay. And that practice on a daily basis for me ends the pattern. So I don't feel like it's my identity or I'm attached to it. I just have a very clear flow of, we don't need to do that anymore. It doesn't serve us. And that gets to go. And I move on.
0: I think that that's brilliant. I think I really do. It's absolutely brilliant because that's the way that you have to, one, you have to acknowledge yourself, right? Like if you are the problem, if you have, you know, not even necessarily the problem, but you just have something about yourself that you're just not happy with and that you want to change, right? Like it doesn't have to be a problem. It's just something that you don't really want to continue on in your life. And you have to be the one to call yourself out you have to do it because there's no other way. Like there's no, there's no other person that's going to be able to make these changes for you. And I think like getting over, you know, the ego stories or the stories we tell ourselves about what it means about us to have this pattern. And we just become the person that can observe the pattern and go, oh yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, like I, I say that to you know, the women I coach all the time, like you, even on your journey to becoming this new version of you, right? becoming in, in this transformation, there's going to be times where you fall back and you that's the point where you get to notice like, oh yeah, I'm doing it again. Okay, oops, Let me d- go this way now. Like I, I can stop myself here. I don't have to spiral down into it and I don't have to shame myself for it either. I can just notice it and go, oh yeah. I've been this way for a really long time, but now I'm choosing something else and I actually have to choose it. And I think too, when you involve other people in that choice, like, you know, your friends, your partner, your family, or whoever it is being like, Hey, like I make some changes in my life. So I'm, you know, trying to do this thing. So I might call myself out and stop mid-sentence. Right. And and if they've come on board with that, too, it just makes it, I think, even more impactful because you are presenting yourself as a new way to these people. Right. And so even how you're talking about how you interact with your fiance about things that you're trying to change, he might be like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal or whatever, because that's maybe his personality and that's fine and great but you are still holding yourself accountable. And by you bringing him into that accountability, it's making your relationship better, whether he thinks that you need to do it or not. So I think that's actually huge.
1: I think you make an amazing point there. I think that's so beautifully said. And what I'll also add to that is it's really interesting you know, I'm kind of dramatic and I'll make a big deal out of something and not that he's not dramatic. I just want to be clear about that. But usually (laughs) when it comes to things that I'm apologizing about and I feel bad for, he's like, it's not a big deal. Him saying that actually helps me calm down a little bit because then I don't have to feel, I'm like, oh, okay. He's not mad at me. It doesn't have to be a whole thing. I don't need to spiral. I'm already kind of spiraling. And so I don't need to add that on top of it. So it is, it, it is nice to say it out loud and have him respond and say like, Everything's okay. I'm good. I'm not mad at you. Like, but I get it. For me, though, what I often find interesting is I need to explain to him why it's such a big deal to me. And I'll talk about, you know, the way I was in my last relationship and why I don't want to live like this anymore and why I don't like that part of myself. And it is really embarrassing for me. And it just makes me, you know, not want to be that way, whatever my explanation is, but it makes it it's so helpful for me to just be able to verbalize that out loud, because I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes for me, oftentimes for me, things are so much worse in my head, in my body. And we like, we, we blow these stories <laughs> oh, yeah. so out of proportion. Right. And I'm like, I'm the worst person ever. I can't believe my ex-boyfriend even stayed with me. I treated him more like all these things. And then I say it out loud. I'm like, Oh it's like, okay. it's okay. It's not as big of a deal and it feels good to just get it out of your body and just like yeah. say it out loud or journal it or whatever that is. That to me feels really cathartic. And then it just feels like I've released something that has been weighing me down for so long.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important too. for me, I have a practice, uh, a really important practice of like absolute self-compassion where I can look at myself in the past and maybe a memory or something comes up where I acted in a way that I'm not proud of, or, you know, I'm like, you know what, Kelly, you were not the same person. You didn't know the things that you know today. Like, does that version of you deserve to be shamed, yelled at, like made to feel bad? Or does that version of you need just some love and like compassion of like, wow, you were in a bad place. Like, wow, you had no idea that this is what was going on. Like, let me send that version of myself love because that's what she needs, you know? And I think for self-compassion is something that a lot of people struggle with. Like we can so easily get to a place with other people you know, like, Oh, I understand where they're coming from. They had this happen or they had that happen. But when it comes to ourselves and you might've struggled with this a lot, considering your background of having to be perfect Kelly, right. Where it's like, Oh, wow. I'm just a human doing the best that I can. And that's it. Yeah. And so do you feel like you you're in that place now, but did you struggle
1: getting there? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, this is, it's still something that is very, it's an underlying thing I struggle with for sure. And what helps me is I have a conversation in my head and I do this with two different things. I do this with what you're talking about of having self-compassion. So if I do something and I'm beating myself up really hard, I'll be like, okay, but what would you say to someone else if they had done that? Would it be Mm -hmm. this big of a deal? Do you tell them, yeah, you should feel horrible and keep beating yourself up. It's totally worth it. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) it's the answer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, hi, you can let that go. I also do this whenever I feel like I don't know what to do and I feel really chaotic and I'm really stressed about a decision or something that's going on. And I think about what advice would I give to like my friend's daughter? Mm. Like if she came and was like, Hey, this is the scenario what should I do? Like, what advice would I give her? Because the advice that I'm going to give my best friend's daughter is always going to be so full of grace and compassion and love. And it's such an amazing reminder that if I can treat her that way, I can treat myself that way. And so how can I bring more grace and compassion into a conversation with myself?
0: Absolutely. I love that so much. I think that's brilliant. And and if we actually showed up in the world that way and were that way all of the time, can you imagine the ripple effect if all women were in that mentality of of self-compassion, self-love, self-acceptance? And then I take it a, a step further with my work and go to self-worship where you know, we we actually treat ourselves in a way like we honor and respect ourselves, like we're in God, a goddess in God essence. and God sense And what does that look like? Like if I treat myself in a way where I self worship myself, where I treat myself with the utmost honor and respect that is possible, then what happens in life? Yes. And so with that, I would love to know, and I call that being the worshiped woman, getting to that place where you can self worship but what is being the worshiped woman mean to you?
1: I love everything you just said. I think that the respect piece is such a huge part of that. But for me, I also want to add to that, the idea of choosing ourselves. I think we become, especially as women and as, you know, we're getting to ages where we start having kids and we become martyrs and we choose everyone else and their needs and their happiness over our own. And for me, it ties in directly with respect and self-love and honoring ourselves is choosing ourselves and making ourselves a priority and saying no, when we need to say no and get to say no and saying yes, when something feels really fucking good, even if it makes someone else uncomfortable, Yeah. more- the more I've stepped into that, the more I've worshiped myself, the more I have experienced pleasure and play and joy. And I, I hope that for every single woman, because I know you understand this and I'm sure so many of your community does as well. When we can transition into really honoring ourselves and, and creating the sacred container within our bodies, the amount of pleasure and joy we have in our lives, just on our own, let alone with someone else that we create life with or relationships in any way, it is so profound and so healing and so fulfilling. It's just such a beautiful experience to have.
0: Yes. Oh, I feel that so deep, a hundred percent. And well, we are the world and our pleasure, like, whoa, everything changes. Hey. Everything yeah. changes. <laughs> so Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Yes. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Kelly M. Tennant, active in the DMs if anyone has questions. And then kellytenant.com. And my podcast is The Kelly Show.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I know that everyone's just going to love this episode so much. And everybody go check out Kelly. Give her some love.
1: Thank you, darling.